black woman, beautiful, powerful, resilient female of African descent with skin kissed by the sun. Conversation, a talk, especially an informal one between two or more people in which news and ideas are exchanged. We love being black women. Black women are ambitious. Black women are confident. Black women are diligent. We are tenacious. We walk out of our houses put together. We are many shades and personalities of fabulous. But we as black women don't talk about our dilemmas, current events, and what's going on every day that affects us. So we created this podcast as a way to laugh together, cry together, and have an open conversation about life as black women. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations. Hey, Nicole. Hey, Janine. How are you? I'm fantastic. The question is, birthday girl, how are you? I feel old. And I feel old not because my body feels old, but I feel old because I think that I've slept more recently than I've slept in probably the past 20 years. So I'm hoping that it's just because I had a chance to relax and it's not because I'm getting old people sleep patterns, but... I, you know, just kind of made me feel a little, a little old, but I'm very appreciative to be in another year, regardless of the pandemic, I made it and some people did not. So I'm very, very grateful. That is so true. And you know what, uh, my mom always told me, like after I turned 30, there was a couple, there was a couple things she told me. One, Nicole, start wearing makeup. You're getting older and you need to wear makeup. Okay, I love you're it. not a child anymore. You need to wear makeup. And two, you need your beauty sleep. So now we have to have our beauty sleep. We don't want to get wrinkles. Oh, that's a very positive way of looking at it, Nicole. I appreciate mm-hmm. that. So I need yeah. to wear more makeup and get beauty sleep. I, You know, mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm a child kind of sometimes where I feel like I'm missing out on something. I don't know why I feel like I'm going to miss out if I'm sleep for whatever reason. But I... I sleep very sporadically normally, so getting six solid hours of sleep is very unusual for me. I mean, I like it, but it's very unusual. Yeah, If you're listening, that means that Johnny never sleeps, <laughs> and that is a true statement. She never sleeps. I can be on social media because I can't sleep. I know Johnny is up. He is on social media as well. She wakes up early. I don't know when she goes to bed. She doesn't sleep. And Nicole knows that I don't sleep because she's often up the same times that I'm up. Literally. No, I sleep. I have a one-year-old child and we go to bed. I go to, I put him to sleep and usually I nap and then I wake up and I'm like, um, he's still asleep. So what am I going to do? So people that have little kids know how it feels. You're used to waking up like every two hours. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. Okay, got it. Because I'm like, Nicole, I know good and well that I've talked to you at the wee hours of the morning before. But it's because you've slept. So you like catnap. Yeah, I mean, when you're in that first year, you're waking up like every two hours initially. And then it's like every three to four hours. And then it's like a couple times a night. And so now Harrison's sleeping more through the night. He's sleeping for longer durations. So sometimes I wake up just to see if he's still asleep. Really? That's something that you never think, as a person with no children, that's something that you don't really think about. Like, I just figured you were up like me, but you are actually 
napping and waking back up. That's actually really, really smart. Maybe I'll try to get on that kind of pattern. Maybe it'll be no, helpful. No, you don't need, no, you don't have any kids. Don't put yourself through that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do this intentionally. It's just habit. <laughs> but I feel like then I would get more sleep than I get now. Cause right now I'm just staying awake through the whole thing until my body is like dead tired. And then I'm just like, like most nights I go to sleep because I can't keep my eyes open anymore. Like I've exhausted myself to the point where it, my body just is like, Hey girl, you either going to close these eyes or we're going to close them for you. Okay. Well, it's time for, it's a new day, a new year, a new Janine. You need to rest your mind. So this year we're going to focus on resting our mind. And you know what? The pandemic has it where you work at home. That's and true. so now we can work on new sleep habits, new <laughs> sleep habits, you know, get the TV out your room, have a warm glass of milk at night, take a bath, a warm bath before you go to bed. All those things increase your sleep hygiene. So that's why I got sleep hygiene. Okay. I'm going to work on that. Minus the removing the TV from my room. But other than that, I'll work on all of that. I, I, I just that. can't. Maybe I, I should try. Jackson, it changed my life. It changed my life when I got the TV out of my room. Getting the TV out of your room is a necessity. When I did that, when I was in residency, it literally changed my life. You don't realize how much brain stimulation you get. It's like your brain is constantly stimulated with the TV on, like you're constantly thinking. So once you get it out of your room, then it's a good thing. Ah, oh, I never thought about that. I'll, I'll try it. I'll try it for a while. See how I like it. On another note, Thanks to everyone who attended Janine's virtual day party, birthday party yesterday. Yay. Yay. It was so much fun. I think that we should do them super- more often. Not a birthday party, obviously, but the virtual day parties. I love them. Yeah. I think we should, I think we should have uh, some friends on periodically. We should invite friends. Maybe I love listener it. friends. That would be cool. That would be super dope. If you all want to come and do a virtual day party with us, let us know. Send us an email. Hit us on Instagram or Facebook. Like, we always want to yep. hear from you. Yeah, we, we'll send you the Zoom link. We absolutely will. And we, and we love new friends. We're, we're not like Drake who says no new friends. We're here for new friends. Yep. Okay, so let's hop into our timeline. So, Nicole, I'm not sure that you know but I'm a little bit of a fan of the Royals. I mean, especially now that we have our, you know, Meghan Markle, or well, at least we did, right? So, I mean, she's still with us, don't get me wrong, but let's hop into our timeline. So, I don't know if you're aware, but there's a book, a tell-all book that is coming out, and it's called Finding Freedom, and it's said to chronicle the life and the shocking decision that Prince Harry and... um the Duchess Meghan Markle made to leave the Royal family. So the book has been really secret, right? Like it's been kept under wraps very well. I mean, I even read articles that said Oprah couldn't even get her hands on a copy of the book. So they've really kept this book under tight wraps, which you could imagine. I mean, it is the Royal family. They have been very good at keeping things under wraps for years. And it's something that they're known for and they've been criticized for in the past. But this book, they've kind of released a few snippets of the book, but they haven't given us a lot of specific detail. And, you know, we're anticipating the book. So here's what we know. The book is about 368 pages. I saw something also that said it was 320 pages. It doesn't matter. We have a 300-page tell-all book about the family, right? Um, It's scheduled to be released on August the 11th. So then we will actually be able to sit and read through this book. The authors, there are two authors, Scobie 
and Durand, and they're two um, reporters that have been reporting on the royal family for a while. And the full title of the book is Finding Freedom, Harry and Meghan, and the Making of a Modern Royal Family. So when I was um, watching the article on ET, they stressed that they have been keeping this under such tight wraps, right? So they haven't released it. They've released snippets to certain organizations that are close to the Royal family, but they won't release them. You know, normally you would send an advanced copy of the book. There are no advanced copies being sent out of this book. So of course, you know, we haven't been able to get our hands on a copy. So it's been suggested that the author may have even spoken to Harry and Meghan. So in several articles that I read on ET and MSN, um, basically it said that, you know, it sounds, it, the the details in the book sound too um, specific for it not to be someone either that lives with and or is a part of the royal's daily life, or it's either Meghan or Harry speaking, to, speaking of it themselves. However, they do say this, but... If we remember, this was the same thing that happened when the book Diana came out in the 90s. Remember, there were so Mm -hmm. many details that we were like, hmm, this is a little too specific for no one to have been involved. Right. So on the July 25th of this year, um, the following statement was released by um, the royal family. It said the Duke and Duchess of Sussex were not interviewed and did not contribute to finding freedom This book is based on the author's own experience as a member of the press corps and their own independent reporting. So they've made it very clear that Meghan and Harry, which it's funny because if you know, Meghan and Harry left the royal family. They chose to leave the royal family, right? Um, Obviously, they're still related, but they don't have the same duties and responsibilities that they had when they were, you know, living as royals, right? But... It's really interesting that they say that they had nothing to do with it and they quickly distanced themselves. If you remember, like we, you know, when Diana came out, they said the exact same thing. Diana vehemently denied, like, you know, I had nothing to do with this. I had nothing to do with this, right? If we recall correctly, Morton, Andrew Morton, who was the author of the Diana book, let, let me go through the, the timeline really quickly. 92, the book was released. Diana vehemently denied saying that, you know, she had nothing to do with the book. She didn't make any um, comments about it. Like she basically made her official royal comment and then was done. However, after her death, Andrew Morton basically revealed that he had had several sit down interviews. If I'm if I my memory um, recalls correctly, it was six sit down interviews. And he also revealed that she was reading the drafts and editing and making her own editorial notes. So she was super involved in the book, even though when it was released, they made her say, "Mm, I don't have anything to do with this. Based on some excerpts from the book that we, that have been released, we see really eerie. I mean, when I tell you eerie parallels between Diana and um, Meghan Markle, it's scary. So here are some parallels, right? So both the Princess of Wales and the Duchess of Sussex felt like their contributions to the royal family were overlooked and not acknowledged, right? So they felt like they were constantly being criticized for needing to do more and being more active. They also feel like they've been criticized for being like showgirls, right? It's reported that um, Prince Harry's brother said that basically called Meghan Markle his showgirl. We are going to leave that there. It's degrading. It's it's super degrading. It's a whole nother level of degrading because Meghan Markle is African-American. 
Granted, I am very aware that she has a white father. However, we are going to go with the old adage that we have been going with for years in this country. If you have one drop of black blood in you, you are black. So it's super degrading on multiple levels. But again, that's the same reputation that Diana got, that she was too in too far into the limelight. So that's, uh, you know, one parallel. Another parallel is that they were completely misunderstood. Both ladies have been reported to say that they were misunderstood by people that are close to um, the royals. And not for nothing, the biggest parallel is that they both secretly wrote tell-all books, right? So, like, they both are in a position where they can't really be open and honest about what's going on in their lives. They feel like they're trapped, and they decided to secretly write tell-all books. So let me let me tell you. So it's been said that Megan allegedly picked Scobie, who is one of the two authors of this book, because Scobie is a reporter who has been, you know, through her time with the Royals, had been, quote unquote, sympathetic to her plight. So if we recall, Diana was very particular about who reported on her, right? So she only selected the people that she felt would have a genuine report on actually what was happening rather than the most popular reporters, right? And she too handpicked Andrew Morton to write her book, as we know. So one of the top biographers of the Royals named Penny Juner said, and I quote, oh, what a sickening sense of deja vu. It's unsettlingly close. And then a source that's close to the family said that Meghan and Harry are playing a very dangerous game and this all has echoes of Diana's war against Windsor. So, I mean, they've even compared, gone down to comparing the way that they, they dress. And the, I mean, there are striking similarities between Megan and Diana, right? So I said, like mother-in-law, like daughter. And the crazy part is they never even met, but they're so similar, right? I said, the only difference that I could see from my research is that Diana was banished from the family after Prince Charles's infidelity and her speaking out against it. And Megan actually took the, the liberty to leave. So hopefully, and you know, we pray that Megan's um, interaction with the Royals isn't as tragic as tragic as Diana's was, but I just find it very interesting that Megan and Diana have so many similarities and she's so much like her mother-in-law. Mother-in-law. So, yeah, I do think there's some similarities, um, but I, I sort of think there's that people are making a lot of similarities as well. Um, I, I do agree that both of them distancing themselves from the royal family um, and both of them, I don't want to say writing tell-all books because to our knowledge, they say they did not write tell-all books, but we know that Princess Diana did contribute to the tell-all book that was at that time. Really, they didn't met, meet because Princess Diana died. But I think that their similarities deal with the pressure of being in the public's eye and being in royalty. And if you didn't grow up in royalty and then you are plummeted into royalty and plummeted into the spotlight where everybody's wondering what time do you wake up and what kind of toilet paper do you use? What do you like? And criticizing everything. That can be very, very hard. And Meghan Markle has been in the media before she has been a star for a really long time but not on this level so maybe the pressure of it all 
you know, just was not what she signed up for, which is why she removed herself from the royal family. Now, my thing is, I don't don't know if I would remove myself from the royal family. I'm going to be in the royal family. So when they announced that, I was like, hmm, I don't know that I would have done that. Like, they would have seen my little shining black face still up in there. I'm just saying. Well, I mean, and that's part of what both Diana and Meghan have spoken out or Meghan Markle, let me say, um, have spoken out about how, what, how confining it is to live in the ro- like live as a member of the royal family. And I'm sure, I mean, we know that the paparazzi would chase her to get pictures, just a snapshot. And I mean, for goodness sakes, that's that's essentially what led to her death in the car crash, right? So. We knew that that there's a certain level that we can't even quite understand of right. notoriety that comes along with being in the royal family. However, you know, Meghan Markle probably thought that she was, and I don't know, I don't know her, would love to get to know her, but probably was a bit prepared for it because she had lived in Hollywood so long, right? But that's just right. a whole completely different level. And the crazy part is they both are super opinionated women, right? So- I think that that's where we are are seeing the you know the underlying connection between the behavior of Meghan Markle and her um, mother in law Diana. They both were women that were so set in being who they are that they did not even allow the royal family to change that. And I think that that's where that's where they they both have that same commonality, right? Like Diana was like, "I'm fabulous, and I love being fabulous, and people love me, and I love being connected to the people." And Megan, ha- you know, expresses that same sentiment. She loves being connected to the people. She loves, you know, she enjoys the platform that she's been given so that she can help others, right? But there's a certain level of like mystery that the royal family likes to maintain and it didn't work for Diana and it sure isn't working for Megan. Well, Megan is keeping a low key. I mean, she really is trying to keep a low key. She, yes, she's used to the spotlight, but she doesn't seem to me to be someone that's like, I'm fabulous and I'm going to um, remove myself from the royal family because I'm going to speak my mind and I'm go- I want to be in the press all the time. Like she doesn't come across like that to me. She comes across as someone that wants to keep her own opinion. She doesn't necessarily have to have the spotlight at all times, but she's not going to say the rehearse line that you want her to say. I think that she wants to be accessible too, right? Like I think there's a certain level of accessibility that both she and Diana enjoyed to be, you know, because it gives them humanity, right? Like you're not, when you're in the Royals, you're so far removed from everything that it's like you sit in this palace on a hill, literally, right? They kind of, you know, I mean, Look at Megan and Diana. They like to do, you know, charity work and they like to they like to be a little bit more accessible than the royal family would like them to be. Does that make sense? Yes, but I think that she removed her they removed themselves so they wouldn't be as much in the public eye as well. And it's weird because I don't know if that has helped. Like if you announce yourself like, "Oh, you remove yourself from royalty." You didn't really remove yourself from royalty. Like you are still royalty you are still married to the prince i don't think that it's changed anything in terms of her exposure to the media and i think it's also highlighted them a bit more for them saying it i mean once you put it out there it's like okay well let me follow you even more to figure out why you said that like there must be some dirt that's going on 
between you and your in-laws. In my opinion, I think that this may have backfired and put even more pressure on them than if they would have just been like, okay, I'm going to remove myself and try to not attend all of the family festivities. Mm -hmm. I agree. But uh, um, one of the things I think that you're very correct about is um, it's created more attention for them. Cause I do, I did read an article that said that they've had to sue the paparazzi for taking pictures of their son. So I think that, you know, there's a lot to do with this, but I think that we've seen the most information about the Royal family and how imperfect it might be from mother-in-law, Diana and daughter-in-law, Meghan Markle. Let's talk about mother-in-law relationships. Uh oh. <laughs> and we and and we need to talk about it because you know obviously this story has a lot of compare contrast mother-in-law daughter-in-law and I think that when we talk about having a new mother because that's what a mother-in-law is there can be some challenges developing a new relationship. I'm going to preface this and say I love my mother-in-law. She's amazing. And she's actually the only person I talk to about my husband, because like I said on the virtual party yesterday, can't talk to my own mother because once my mother has in her mind, oh, you heard my daughter, the, she will write you off forever. It's like they, you should not tell your family all of your dirt in your marriage. But I do talk to my mother-in-law because I know that she will love my husband unconditionally. She birthed him. So since she gave birth to him, she will love him. And I can talk to her about him because she knows him more than anybody else in the world. So I appreciate my mother-in-law for that. But I do know that a lot of people don't have that same relationship with their mother-in-law. Very true. I have a great mother-in-law, right? She's, I always say that she's, she's the like most peaceful mother-in-law ever. Like she doesn't ask a bunch of questions. She doesn't pry into our business. Like, you know, we hear from her occasionally. I mean, I talked to her yesterday and it's it's just very peaceful. And I told Ken, it's funny because I told Ken, I was like, you know, sometimes I think like maybe I should have a mother-in-law that has a little bit of drama. Like, so I have some like story to tell, but it's actually very, very rewarding to have a mother-in-law that's just like, just checking on you, making sure everything's okay. Like, no, doesn't want anything, doesn't need anything, doesn't want to insert her opinion on what I'm doing or how I'm taking care of her son. Just is very like, Oh, I'm just here. And it's a very pleasant added bonus to the family, right? Yeah. Is he, is your husband an only child? No, he's not. He has a, a brother. Yeah, my husband is the only son. Oh. So he has three sisters. So my mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, our relationship is great. The sisters, when we first met, um, the verdict was, you know, out. I mean, they... I can be honest. I mean, they didn't like me. And some of them still don't like me. It's all good. I'm here, you know, whatever. You're here and you're <laughs> not going anywhere. So I'm here. I now have, you know, Harrison. So regardless of what happens, like I, they're stuck. They're stuck with me because I have a child now by James. So he can't really get rid of me, even if we divorced. So very true. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, a lot of people have issues with their with their in-laws but I wonder of you know about how much of those how many of those issues stem because people don't know how to keep their mouth shut like you just said you are very you know particular about the way that you talk to 
your mother-in-law, like you specific, you're specific. You're like, I talked to my mother-in-law about my husband, right? Like I don't talk to my own family about my husband because you know, when your family forgives people, when you forgive people, your family doesn't necessarily forgive them. I wonder how many in-law relationships could be improved if we sometimes just filtered the information that we shared about our relationships. Yeah, I think that it's your job when you're married to somebody. So it's my husband's job to present me in the best light, light possible to his family and wrap me in a bow and say, here, this is the new family member. And it's my job to do the same for him. So I'm presenting him in a positive light to my family, wrapping him in a bow and saying, hey, here's our shiny new, you know, family member. And right. so they can get to know him and think about him on a positive light. And I think when you don't represent your spouse or significant other positively to your family, of course, they're going to be judgmental. If you allow them to sort of like, I'll let you be the judge. Well, if for some reason your significant other is nervous around your family, I mean, that's not putting the best life possible. So I think it's each other's job to make sure our family appreciates our significant other and they can form their own, own opinion going forward after that, after the presentation. Can I tell you something really quickly? So sure. I have this story about when I first met my mother-in-law, but this is obviously before, before we got married. So I had so much anxiety about meeting my mother, my future mother-in-law, right? Like Ken and I weren't engaged. I was literally just meeting his mom for the first time. And I'm like, I mean, everything went through my mind. I was on pins and needles and I didn't know why. Cause at this point, Ken and I were not even really talking about marriage. We just were like, Hey, like he was like, I just want you to meet my mom. I'm like, okay. So I am like, when I tell you, like I, I was using the bathroom every five minutes. Like my stomach was in knots. Like, I don't know why. Right. And I told my husband, I said, well, this is obviously before we were married. And I was like, tell your mom, do not ask me if I know how to cook. And he was like, <laughs> what? And I was like, just don't, because to me it's, it, and it sounds crazy. This is one of my weird, like idiosyncrasies. Right. So like, I think that there's something super degrading about asking a woman if she knows how to cook when you're the mother-in-law. Right. It's just a thing that I have in my mind. And I, and I think it's degrading because I think that it implies that it's my responsibility to make sure that your husband or my husband and your son is fed. It's rude. Does your, does your son know how to cook? That's the, the flippant response that I would give. Right. So I was trying to like prevent any, any like confusion or like drama between me and his mother initially. So I was like, do not tell your mother, do not ask me if I know how to cook. And he was like, Janine, your mom's not going to ask you now. Now that I know her, I probably should have just been like, whatever, it doesn't matter. And it really was a stupid thing to ask at the time, but it was what I harped on. Like, I was like, this is going to be a thing. And if she asked me, do I know how to cook? I'm going to say this. And he was like, okay, Janine, like he let me go through the whole thing. Right. Like I was like, and tell her, and maybe this is what we should talk about. And maybe, and when I met her, she is the sweetest woman. And I was like, I went through all of that for nothing. Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I'm from Louisiana and my husband is from Alabama. So I don't know, growing up in the South, that's a real thing. Like you need to know how to cook. And so I am very much so aware of gender roles, which where my husband doesn't really care about them. So I'm usually the person that's like, have you eaten? What can I cook today? What do we need to do? Like, I do feel like it's my responsibility to make sure that people in the house are fed. Not necessarily that I cook, because I can do a mean Grubhub order, but <laughs> that, 
you know, I have to make sure, you know, Harrison is fed and, hey, have you eaten today? And if you haven't, what do you want to eat? So that's a real thing for me. My mother-in-law did not ask me that, although if you went to our house, that is so a thing. Like, all the women cook and all the men grill. So that is their, like, thing. Um, Growing up, my mom and her family, all the women were in the kitchen, all the men were outside. So it's definitely playing gender roles. So that question would not have offended me. My mother-in-law didn't ask me that either. Hold on, but the crazy part is, though, Nicole, I agree, and and I – subscribe to those same gender roles, right? Like I'm the cook in the family, right? My husband can cook a mean breakfast, but that's pretty much it, right? But he has, in his defense, he has helped me HelloFresh. Shout out to HelloFresh. But we subscribe to those same gender roles. I cook, my husband is mean on the grill. That's it. Or mean breakfast. That's it. And I don't have a problem with it, right? Like I'll be like, hey, hon, what do you want for dinner? I have no problems cooking it. None at all whatsoever. It's just something about her asking me if I knew how to cook. And I just felt like she was going to, I don't know what I felt like because I didn't even know her. Like I just had created this weird interaction in my head. And when I met her, I was like, what did you even go through all of this for girl? Like whatever. Well, in your head, you probably thought, oh, this is going to be the life changer. This is the game changer right now. Because a lot of people do have that issue that they don't get along with their mother-in-law. We just happen to get along with our mother-in-laws. So let's say we didn't get along with our mother-in-laws. So let's talk through some situations here. I'm ready. So there's a video someone posted with what obviously looks like a dysfunctional relationship between a wife and a mother-in-law. The husband drives up in the wife's car, I will add, with his mom already in the front seat. The wife requests that her mother-in-law get in the back seat, but she refuses. So who's right in that situation? Who rides in the front seat? Who rides in the back seat? Was it right that this wife requested even that the mother-in-law get in the back seat? And obviously the mother-in-law was out of the window taunting this wife. Mm. So I have seen this video, right? And mm-hmm. there are a couple of things. First of all, I love my mother-in-law, as I stated, and I love my mother. So I'm going to take it from the perspective of what would I what would I do and how would I try to diffuse the situation before it got there, right? First of all, if as the as the wife, I probably wouldn't have insisted that my mother-in-law sit in the back seat, right? Because if I already have an adversarial relationship with my mother-in-law, why pick a fight? Like sit in the back seat. It's however long this little car ride is, when y'all drop her off, you get in the front seat and you keep it moving, right? And from the perspective of myself, my mother and mother-in-law are older. So I would love for them to sit in the front seat so that they're not crammed up in the back seat or whatever or having to climb in and out. However, in this particular situation, you mentioned that it was her car. I have a problem with that. What you will not do I don't care who you are, is disrespect me in what is mine, right? You're not going to disrespect me in my home. You're not going to disrespect me in my office. You're not going to disrespect me in the place that I worship. And you're not going to disrespect me in a car that I purchased. It's not going to happen. You can try, but everyone would have been walking, husband included. I'm not about to be disrespected. And that's just a a, a trigger for Janine, right? Like, you're not going to disrespect me. I can, you can say whatever it is that you want. 
You can call me names, but you're not just going to blatantly disrespect me in my car and say, I'm not getting out. And then if I remember correctly, the mother was leaning out the window as the wife was standing on the curb and continued to antagonize her. Right. I have a problem with this and I have a problem because in the video, the husband hops out and tries to calm his wife down. Right. He doesn't address the mother. He actually tries to justify the reason why the mother was being like that, right? First of all, defuse the situation from the get-go. The husband should have hopped out, let the wife drive, let the mother-in-law stay in the front seat, and hopped his tail in the back of the car. That's number two. And number three is, the, the only other option is, mom and son, both of you all get out of my car. And me... I'm going to hop in my car that I paid for. And since you want to be somewhere with your mama, you go with your mama wherever y'all were going. But I'm going to take my car and go this way. Now, granted, I love my mother-in-law too. I've already stated that. This would never happen in that situation. I would let my mother-in-law sit in the front seat. I would not have even asked her to move. However, if she was disrespectful to me, all bets are off. If my relationship with my mother was adversarial, my mother-in-law was adversarial, I want no parts. And I have a hard time believing that that husband didn't already know that he, his mother and his wife had an adversarial relationship. So the fact that he put his wife in that particular situation, knowing that it could have potentially been a problem, I blame the husband. Husband gets blamed all the way around here, all the way around. He doesn't know how to manage up to his mama and he doesn't know how to manage up to his wife. So it's his fault. That's a, that's a relationship that he should have been able to manage. Ooh, don't get us started. Woo. <laughs> I'm just saying that's a lot though. Nicole, you mean to tell me that your that James pulls up in your car. I was going to tell the people how nice your car was, but I decided to leave that part out. Pull up in your car that you paid hard money for with his mama who refuses to get in the back seat. And she wants to sit and antagonize you while you're standing on the curb and make a big old loud ghetto scene. No, thank you. You telling me that you would be okay with that? So first of all, that wouldn't happen. So, um, one, my mother-in-law always tells me to stay in the front seat. Even when we usually play that, no, you get in the front seat. No, you get in the front seat. No, you get in the front seat. Mm -hmm. So that wouldn't happen. But in that particular situation, the thing that surprised me was one, the mother-in-law was taunting her and antagonizing her out of the window. I thought that that was childish on so many levels. Mm -hmm. Two, the wife who wasn't wearing a ring. So I'm wondering if it was really the wife, because if it was the girlfriend, that's a whole nother situation, right? If you're the girlfriend, you get in the back seat. But if you're the wife and in your own your car, car, though, Nicole, in your own car, if you're the girlfriend, you get in the back seat in your own car. Well, okay. Remember I said we have to be more particular with our vaginas. You're right. Okay. We shouldn't be, I can drive your car, but you're not going to push my car. Mm -mm. No, no. You're not going to ride around while I'm at home with no car. <laughs> Facts. It's not happening. So I'm assuming that that was really the wife. Because if you're the girlfriend, then you need to get some standards and get a man that actually has a car. Because why is he parading his mom around in your car? That's my right. story. You're right. Two, with, um, with that situation, she's like, it's my car, it's my car, it's my car. Really not just your car, right? If you're married, it's both of y'all's car. So you mm -hmm. can't say that it's just your car. That's my two cents. I wish that James would tell me this is my car. So you can't do some X, Y, Z in my car. No, that's our car. We're married. That's our car. 
So we have both the same rights to that car. If that was your car before and now you've gotten married, it's still both of y'all's car. So you can't say, make her get out of my car. It's my car. Mm, I have a problem with that. So if you're married, it's both of y'all's car. Next, yes, the husband should have gotten out of the car and allowed her to drive if he knew that it was going to be some tension because the mother-in-law was not going to get in the back seat. And I would argue that if the wife went over to the driver's side, the mother-in-law probably would have got in the back seat because the mother-in-law probably wouldn't have wanted to be in the front seat with her driving. So to me, that would have been the solution in that part. But I do think they need to go through some type of counseling. Like you cannot live your life with that kind of tension between a mother and a daughter-in-law. That is going to wreak havoc on the marriage. It's going to cause strain on the marriage, the relationship. If you can't get along with the mother-in-law, there's an issue there. They need to go to counseling and figure out what it is and they need to move forward. Or maybe that, you know, maybe that uh, husband's going to have to make some tough decisions about bringing his mother around his wife. If you chose that wife, you can't choose your mother. You chose a wife. You chose to leave the cleave. Then you have to cleave. Well, you that, have to cleave to your wife. Can I jump in right there, though, Nicole? That's yeah. sometimes the problem, though, right? Like, you're supposed to leave and cleave. Sometimes they leave, kind of, right? Like, there's there's a kind of I left, right? They're, they still are holding on to the apron strings, right? They really want to be married and have a wife, but they don't want to get rid of that nurturing and support and support system that they have in their mom. So they have a difficult time. And I've seen this time and time again with my friends and their in-laws. It's that sometimes, and it's, and I'm not going to even say that it's all always the males that are holding on to their mothers. Sometimes my female friends, their mom is their like best girlfriend, right? So when you really should be separating yourself from, and I'm not saying separating, like you still should have a good relationship with your family, right? But there are certain things that now are the responsibility of your spouse and your nuclear family that you're now creating rather than incorporating the the in-laws per se. Like, you know, I get it that you want to have a good relationship, but I don't, I don't want you talking to your mom about, our sex life like your mom doesn't need to know everything you know what I mean like so sometimes they're not leaving and cleaving they're just kind of adding you on to their relationship with their parents their mother that could be a yeah. problem and again that's why I think that one before people get married they really do need to do premarital counseling and then two if you see that there's still disdain in your marriage then you should continue to get counseling and my husband and I frequently get counseling. I mean, that is, you are two individual people. You're not going to think the same. So I think that it's very important to constantly learn and relearn how to communicate with each other. They don't know how to communicate with each other. And the husband and wife don't know how to communicate with each other in that situation. And obviously the mother-in-law and daughter don't, or the daughter-in-law and mother-in-law don't know how to communicate with each other either so they need to go to counseling so I would encourage anybody if you have an issue with your relationship I think you should go to counseling now the other people other than your mother-in-law and father-in-law do you really need to get along with them mm, I mean it's helpful like I tell my but husband, not like, necessary I don't know if your sister's like me now or not I don't really think it matters right like I am not going to be responsible for taking care of them long term as I would be your parents so I don't have to develop and nurture that relationship as much. 
Although I still try, right? You still try to nurture that relationship. Although it is not as important as that mother-in-law, daughter-in-law or father-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship, in my opinion. I agree. It's, it's, it's helpful, but it's definitely not necessary. Right. So if, you know, you have to think of, as you always tell us, planning long-term and what does your long-term planning look like, right? So an in-law could potentially be your responsibility long-term, whereas Absolutely. a brother or sister, I mean, if, if you choose to take care of them long-term, that's your choice. It's not your responsibility. So right. I agree. Not your responsibility at all. At all. Yeah, I agree. So I have another scenario, and this came to our inbox so I'm not going to say any names. Greetings, ladies. I have an issue with my mother-in-law. That's actually really interesting that she started it like that. Like, I have an issue with my mother-in-law. So I'm going to go back to Thanksgiving last year. I was hosting Thanksgiving dinner and spent about seven or eight hours cooking. My mother-in-law showed up to Thanksgiving dinner with multiple duplicate dishes of just about every single thing that I made. Now, let me tell you, we sat down for hours and went over the list and made a list for her, a list for me, and a list for my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law and I made the things that were on our list. However, my mother-in-law made every single dish that she was supposed to make as well as every dish that I was supposed to make. I kept my cool, but when I made a comment and said, oh, wow, we do have a, quite a lot of food, she said, well, we don't really need to put your food out. You can just save it and put it in the freezer. I don't know whether I should feel disrespected or this is just her way of taking care of our family. Please help. Signed, Stacy. Okay, Stacy, we got to know our strengths, right? Everybody doesn't have the same strengths. So for me, I can bake probably better than I can cook. So I know that cooking may not be my strength. Now, my husband eats what I cook, probably because he doesn't want to offend me. And two, probably because he wants to eat because he's not going to cook. But when it comes down to big family gatherings, I think that we have to really look at ourselves. So if she's been in this relationship a long time, she's brought dishes to family gatherings. Has your dish disappeared? Meaning, do people actually eat the food that you put down? Hmm, that's a good point. Can you really cook? Because for me, that story screams, this mother-in-law probably gave her some random sides that she thought would be a little easier for her to cook. But she's going to bring her own backup because she knows this woman can't cook and she doesn't want to offend her. So she wants to give her something else to do. So for me, Stacey, I just feel like maybe you can't cook and, and, and that's OK. That's OK. You probably have the best decorated home. You probably had, you know, pumpkins out for Thanksgiving and a whole bunch of Christmas lights and Christmas trees for Christmas. You are the decor queen. You may have uh, an eye for fashion. You are decked down to the nines. But maybe cooking is not your strength. Everybody wants to make cooking their strength because they're women. That is not our strength. So one, look at it as maybe you can't cook, baby girl, and that's okay if you cannot cook. 
But if you can cook and you think the mother-in-law is just trying to offend you, then pull her to the side. I wouldn't say anything in in public in that situation. I would pull her to the side and say, hey, I thought you wanted me to cook. Do you not like my cooking? Be honest. And if she says something, you know, honestly, hey, you know, I looked at your stuff and I realized it was a little burnt. I didn't want to embarrass you by putting it out there. Then you got to respect that. You got to say, you know what? Thanks for having my back and having these backup dishes. But if you think that she just doesn't like you and she just did something out of spite, then you know where you stand. So if you cannot change your mother-in-law, you can't change her. She is set in her ways. What I would do is talk to my husband, tell my husband about it and have my husband talk to his mother. Or for the next gatherings, I wouldn't cook a thing. I would not waste my time. I wouldn't cook a thing. I would divide it up between the other daughter-in-law and the mother. And I would just make sure the house looks fabulous. And if she didn't come with dishes the next time, I would say, oh, well, I guess we need to order some takeout because I assumed that you would come with the things that we have you on the list to do because I would not put myself on the list to cook anymore and be embarrassed and waste my time. Yeah, I, my two cents. I agree, Nicole. I think that it's even if she can cook or can't cook, I think that it's disrespectful to waste my time, right? Like, why am I slaving in the kitchen for hours? I think she said, what, seven or eight hours? Why am I slaving in the kitchen for hours? That's a day's worth of work for me not to even, for for anyone not to even reap the benefits of my labor. Like, that's ridiculous to me, right? But here's the other thing, though, Nicole. I think that's a very um, difficult thing subject to broach and as we know food and mother-in-laws are like a trigger for Janine so I think that I might ask like you know somewhere somewhere in the springtime maybe farther away when the dust has settled from Thanksgiving and it's not into the holidays and there might not be something you know a family gathering I think I might you know pull my mother-in-law inside and say hey maybe can you teach me how to cook a b and c that way there's no confrontation there's no like well do you not like my cooking um, because I know me and if I ask somebody, do you not like my cooking? I'm probably going to ask it with an attitude. Right. So I think that it would be like, I think that I would probably approach the subject and say like, Hey, um, I really enjoy your casserole. Let's say, even though I don't really like casserole, but like, I really enjoy your casserole. Like, do you think that maybe one day you can teach me how to do that? And then you can probably see Stacy that, you know, if your mother-in-law says, hey, um, yeah, no, I'll teach you how to make the casserole, then maybe she just does think that you don't know how to cook. And if she, de- if she says, uh, yeah, no, or is hesitant, then maybe your mother-in-law just doesn't like you. Yeah, if she's not sharing recipes, she don't like you. And if she's not going to share a recipe, then I would argue, I don't think that you need to waste your time. I would just say, hey, I will supply the alcohol or you know, the wine, the drinks, make sure the house is decorated and not waste my time. Even if I was going to somebody else's house, if my mother-in-law was going to be there, I would just bring bottles of wine. I wouldn't bring a dish because if my mother-in-law is going to replace my dish with her dish in the background, then why waste your time? Again, there could be something there that means your mother-in-law does not like you and you need to talk to your husband and have him be honest. And have him have the come to Jesus with your mother-in-law. I don't think it's ever good to exclude your significant other when it deals with relationships between his family and you or your family. You get him involved and be responsible for his family 
and you are involved and be responsible for your family. And Stacey, um, I am going to give you a personal thing that I do. So our family has, a, you know, like most families have a joint Thanksgiving, right? And I've cooked the dish for us to bring to the said Thanksgiving dinner with the family, with the larger family, right? But I cook Thanksgiving dinner for my husband and I so that when Thanksgiving is over and my husband wants leftover turkey sandwiches, he can have that, right? So maybe you cook a Thanksgiving dinner for you and your husband. I don't know if you have children, um, but for you and your immediate family. And then maybe just cook a one dish or like Nicole said, bring the wine. You don't have to feel the need to make Thanksgiving for your entire extended family. It's a lot of pressure and no one really enjoys doing it. No one enjoys being in the kitchen for eight hours unless you're a chef, right? That's not what we really do for a living. I know for a fact I'm good at cooking. My husband is very well fed and enjoys it, right? But I don't enjoy sitting in the kitchen for eight hours at a time, right? Like when I pick, when I pick things to cook, I pick them based on how long it's going to take to cook and how convenient it's going to be and what ingredients I have, right? So maybe... Like Nicole said, cooking isn't really your thing and be realistic. And I mean, goodness sakes, it's 2020, right? If this has become a point of contention, cater Thanksgiving. It's a real possibility. It's real live possibility that you can cater Thanksgiving as opposed to anyone spending all of their time in the kitchen. Just maybe try catering Thanksgiving this year. Just a thought. You know, I think I'm going to do that this year. I, I work, I'm on call for Thanksgiving which our call is pretty light. We go in in the morning, we round, and then we're on backup call after that for any patient that comes in. So this Thanksgiving, if the pandemic is over, we'll host it at our house because we can't really travel and go out of town. Now I'm off Christmas, so we probably will travel and go to see James's family if we are allowed to, depending on what these numbers are doing. Okay. Just a side note, wear your mask so we can hurry up and get out for the holidays. But um, I might have to do that catering thing because if I'm on call and I can get to call to the hospital... Yeah, I may have to cater because I don't want my in-laws to have to come down here and do a whole bunch of cooking. And I do want my house to look fabulous and I want my meal to look fabulous as well. So thanks for that idea, Jenny. <laughs> You're more than welcome. I've catered Thanksgiving twice. And it's when I tell you it's the only thing that you have to worry about is cleanup. It's so it's such a relief, right? Like it's such a relief to know that you don't have to sit and slave in the kitchen and stay up all night and then be tired halfway through Thanksgiving because you've been up all night cooking. It's such a relief that it comes delivered. It's packaged very well. You can even re uh, or you can even set it out the way that you would like so that people don't necessarily know that you know that you catered because I have some friends that will pretend like they cooked and they really catered Thanksgiving. So shout out to them. You all know who you are. You can present it however you'd like. But it's so much easier and it, it gives you time to actually enjoy your family as opposed to constantly thinking about cooking and having situations like Stacy had where you going back and forth with your in-law about whose food is going to be eaten or presented. It's ridiculous. So if anybody else has any um, advice they would like to give Stacy, just email us at ohthatsdeepbwc at gmail.com or Surely we'll have a snippet of this episode on social media. Drop a line or two on our social media pages at oh, that's deep, BWC, and that is on Instagram as well as Facebook. So now that I've learned that new, 
Janine, what else did you learn new this week? So I don't have children, but one of the things that I learned while researching about mother-in-laws and some of the, um, some of the things that you all sent in to tell us about the relationships that you have with your mother-in-laws, um, I found an, um, a blog post in Psychology Today that basically said that um, you should try to cultivate a relationship with your in-laws, right? Like you need to try to cultivate a relationship with your in-laws, but not necessarily for you, but for your children, because there is a correlation between an adversarial relationship with your in-laws and the way that they treat your children. So, I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but, you know, oftentimes we don't think about how our relationship with people can affect others. So it's something to, to think about, you know, if you have um, children or if, or even if you, you know, your spouse, even if you have an adversarial relationship with your in-laws, it can then cause problems with not only your marriage, but the way that your, your children are being treated. So be mindful of that. That's what I learned this week. Hmm. Well, my something new um, doesn't necessarily deal directly with in-laws, but I did attend the black coffee company's Community Expo, you attended it to Janine. It was and nice. I learned that there are several amazing Black-owned businesses that contribute back to their communities um, through the sale of their products. So shout out to the Black Coffee Company. They are amazing. They are also Xavierites. Um, and they host this uh, Black Expo, Community Expo for businesses quarterly, um, I think. I think their next one's in October. So you can find something to purchase your in-laws and send to them. Yes. And that's, that's something that I saw also. One of the things that they said of how to help to cultivate the relationship with your in-laws is send them an occasional gift. It doesn't have to be anything fabulous, just a gift that says, just thinking about you. So we actually will list on our, on our um, social media, a few of the companies that black coffee company highlighted because they, as Nicole said, they all are Xavier rights and they're all doing really awesome things in their community. So we'll, we'll highlight them on our social media. Okay, and the motivation for the week. An ounce of blood is worth more than a pound of friendship. That's a Spanish proverb. So you can't choose your family. And when you're married, you now have a new family. So work on knowing your new family and loving them just the way they are. Until we meet again. Pray, work, slay. And show off your melanated excellence. Bye. Bye. Oh, that's deep. Black Women Conversations is produced and hosted by Nicole Lee Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer Ken Johnson. Find Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations on Facebook and IG at Oh, That's Deep BWC. Oh, That's Deep Black Women Conversations is a five times media production.